Well, good morning. My name is Chad. I, I'm one of the pastors here. I've had the opportunity, the joy of being able to plant this church. And so if I haven't had the chance to meet you, I would love it. I, would, I, I really would love it. This is a, a, a church that is built on relationships. And it's relationships with one another, but it's most of all a relationship with Jesus. And that's really what we're talking about today. We are neck deep in 1 Corinthians. We've been in it for months. And whether this is your first time here with us, uh, please don't be intimidated by that. We want to we open up God's word together. And we just want to look at it. it. But we're neck deep in 1 Corinthians. And so if you, if you need a Bible, we have some over there on the table. And, and we want you to see that everything that we're talking about comes directly out of the Word of God. It comes out of it. And so uh, that's how we're going to uh, walk through life. That's where we're going to point people as a church. And every bit of it is going to be informed and built upon the Word of God speaking over us. And I believe this morning that God wants to speak a word into your life. Not just another service to attend, not just another thing that we, we talk about. And, and there's certainly more than words on a page. It's something directly for each and every one of us today. Before we get started, I, I do want to show you a picture. Uh, it's one of the most famous pictures in all of athletic history. Maybe not in all of world history, but it is one of the most famous athletic pictures that there ever has been. And you may or may not know who is in this picture. I was with a group of interns from our church uh, a few months ago, and I showed them this picture, and they're like, I don't even know who this is. I don't even know who that is. Friends, it's Muhammad Ali. It's Joe Frazier. Friends, do yourself a favor and learn some history on some of this stuff. Okay, I'll just pause right there for a second. I'll pause right there. I appreciate that. I appreciate that right there. I, I mean, the rebuke I gave our interns for not knowing that is, is not something I'm going to bring uh, right here. I think this picture is really helpful for us. It's like it, it, you, can, you can almost understand why this is one of the most famous pictures. It, it tells a story. It, you feel it. You, you can almost, almost feel the weight of what is happening in this moment. It, it, you get a, a, a definition of boxing coming out in this. You, you have history packed into it. But you can... You can you can at least think, if not experience, the consequences that are happening. It's so fascinating. I could just, I could just look at it uh, for hours and, and just continue to, to marvel at this moment that is captured right there. It's also, it's also an illustration. It's also a metaphor of so many things. So I, I know people who come to church expecting to get beat up. I know people who come to church almost wanting to get beat up so they'd feel better about themselves. That somehow that, like, that's what we're here for, is that God wants to beat you up. And friend, I'm, I'm telling you, that is not the God of the Bible. It's not the God of the Bible. There's other people who would look at a picture like this as a metaphor and, and, and feel like life has been taking big swings at them. Life has been coming at them. And, and I've dodged a couple, but... Uh, I don't know if I can dodge all of them. I don't know if I can dodge all of them. 
And, and then there's a, another aspect of this, which is really why I'm bringing this up, because Paul, in the text that we're reading today, the Apostle Paul actually uses boxing as an illustration. He says at the end, he says, like, we're not just beating the air, friends. We're not just beating. Like, when we box, we're not just beating the air in this. And so I, I want to bring this up because in some way, I think uh, I, Paul didn't have this picture in his mind, but Paul is, is bobbing and weaving with big rights and lefts coming at him from the Corinthians. They keep asking these questions. They keep coming with, with all sorts of arguments that, that probably mean something to them. And some are legitimate, and some are, are just selfish. But they keep asking this, and it, it, it's as if Paul just kind of keeps ducking to the left and dipping over here and, and saying, no, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. And so, friends, as we dive into this today, I, I really do believe that our confessions speak something to us today. That the word of God speaks something today. In our confession, we said we, we confessed uh, of being self-consumed and half-hearted in our devotion. And, and the word of God right here is drawing us to something, is speaking a word, not just of what you've been saved from, but what you're saved to. And I hope that we would hear this today clearly. And so this morning, we have three turns we're going to look at this, this word of God spoken over us today, that in Christ you are free, that freedom has a purpose, that there's a purpose that we see in all of it. Paul's living a purpose, and we're called to live out a purpose. Our freedom isn't just for happy days. Our freedom is for a reason, and that purpose is paired with some necessary disciplines. And so I, I want to pray for you, and, and I want you to pray for me that God would meet us in this time. Lord, we, we absolutely need you. On our own, I am self-absorbed. On my own, I am weak and frail. On my own, I, I am simply trying to earn my way. And God, help us. Help us to hear what you're inviting us into. Help us to hear the good news of the gospel spoken over us today. We need you, God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we're in chapter 9. We're at the last part of chapter 9. And the Corinthians have been obsessed with their rights. I think that's a, a simple synopsis. They've been like, hey, can we eat this? Can we do this? Can we, can we uh, marry this person? Can we walk in this way? Can we, how far is too far? Kind of sums up the, the Corinthian way of life at this point. And Paul just continues to say, no, you guys are missing the point. And in chapter 9, it takes a, a, a kind of a, a, a different tact. In chapter 9, Paul makes the case for all of his rights. In chapter 9, he, he stops even spe specifically speaking to the questions that they're asking anymore. And he makes this a, a, a real argument on the merits, but it, it 
points to something that is absurd and over the top. Paul spends the entire first part of this chapter making the case for his compensation. Like, hey, I deserve these. Like a worker is worth their wages. I, I deserve this amount. And, and I've worked hard for you people planting this. And I deserve all of this. And he makes a compelling case that like, here is what you should pay me for my services in this. And you can almost be like, yeah, the Corinthians are like, yeah, I mean, he's right. He's right. And it's kind of a strange, uh, it's a change of tone that, that feels strange. He asks all these questions in chapter 29, like uh, obvious questions. The answer is obvious, and he puts them in a box in which they, they have to, like, acknowledge, yes, the guy's right. And then he pivots, and he pivots, and he's like, all those things that you owe me that I've deserved, all those things that are mine by right and how you should pay me, I lay it all down. I lay it all down, every bit of it I'm laying down. Our text today explains why he's laying it down. It explains why he says, like, all of that means nothing to me. Every bit of it means nothing. Today he's going to unpack that why behind this decision. So I want you to pick it up with me. In verse 19 of chapter 9, 1 Corinthians, he says this. For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. I'm free from all. I'm a debtor to no one. All this stuff, all the noisiness of life, all of those things. And guess what? Paul had a noisy life. There's a lot going on in his life his life. Paul is like valedictorian. Paul has like the CV to match up against anyone. Paul had the resume. Paul had all of it. He is a rock star in this day. Paul is a guy who, when he comes to town, people are are making notice of this in good ways and in bad because it wasn't just all success for Paul, though he knew success. He's also one who could turn around and say, I know what it's like to live in want. I know what it's like to have nothing. Paul knows what it's like to be accused while being innocent. Paul knows what it's like to go to jail uh, under false accusations. Paul knows what it's like to be shipwrecked. Raise your hand if you know what it's like to be shipwrecked. Like Paul's had a noisy life in which there's a big highs and big, big, deep, deep, dark lows in this. And Paul says, none of that matters. Not one bit of it matters because though I've been set free, my life is different because something, I'm not worried about compensation. I am not worried about this. I'm not worried about where my next meal comes from. Every bit of it is, is something else. I'm free from all. And just as a, as your pastor as, a, as, a, as the Lord led me this morning, I, I just was led to this question. I wonder how many of us coming today could sit and rest in the knowledge that you've been set free. And when life is noisy, and maybe it's noisy for you right now, I, I, I was really, really struck by, like, there's so many people coming, and, 
And each of you are carrying different things and different burdens. Different highs and different lows. I just want to slow down for a second and just say, like, can you hear the voice of the Father that says you're free? You're free because of what Christ has done. You're free in and through Christ. You see, the people of Corinth keep asking, like, are we, are we free to do this or are we free to do that? And I'm afraid that the people of Yukon often say the same things. Am I free to, to do this? Am I free to have my way here? Am I free to, to get this preference or that thing in my life? Am I free in this? And Paul, I think, would come to us and say, hey, friends, you are free. I know that there are hard things in your life. Paul knows. As he writes from prison to the Philippians, Paul knows. He's like, These, this jail cell is not boxing me in. There are big highs and big lows in our life. And those are secondary to the word of God spoken over you. Can you hear that today? You see, the people of Corinth keep missing the point, and yet the good news of Jesus is that he alone sets people free. You'll think that like, if I just had enough money, then I'd be free. If I just had this in my life, if this situation, if this relationship, if this thing would change in my life, then I would be free. If I could just do this, or if they would just do that, then I would be free and everything would be better. And yet the word of God, the good news of Jesus is that it is not your circumstances that make you free. It's Jesus that makes you free. He sets you free not just to say, oh, I can sit around today. I've got nothing to do. I'm free. No, we know from, we know because we have so much of Paul's writing, we know that that's not the story. We know that that's not it. He, he's not just like got a tattoo on his neck saying, only God can judge me and I'm going to sit down and think about myself. No, like Paul is changed because of his freedom. He notice he he says it directly for though I am free from all I have made myself a servant to all. A servant. Now why? Why has he done it? He tells us his motivation in it, but he he, he doesn't give us everything right here. He tells us why he's become a servant. Why his Tuesdays look different. Why is because like notice what he says. I become a servant to all that I might win more of them. What does that mean? Like win an argument? Win the popularity contest? Like what, what is he trying to win? He says it. He comes up later on in 22. He says, he says that they'd be saved. That people would be saved. And that's a weird word with a lot of baggage for us in this life. Like that, that's a lot of baggage for people who have lived and grown up in the Bible Belt. I don't know if that's your story, but that's mine. And sometimes when I hear that word, I think it's just been reduced to like, oh, I prayed a prayer one day and I really meant it. Or like, I go to church all the time, so I'm saved. Or, or like, I believe in Jesus, so I, I, 
I, I'm, I'm this, I'm saved. I must be saved, right? Does it mean that you're a Christian? Like, that saved would be meaningless if that's all it meant. Like, we've got to ask ourselves, like, when the Bible says that they might be saved, that some might be saved, what is it talking to? What are they saved from? Are they saved from hard circumstances? Are they saved from, like, big ups and big downs? Are they saved from, like, these? this is uncomfortable. I don't want to go through uncomfortableness anymore. Like, friends, Paul is writing people. The guy knows shipwrecked. He knows being stoned. He knows being in jail. He knows hardship. He knows what having nothing means like, and life has a different purpose for him. So it's not just saved that you would have a happy life and everything would go smooth. The Bible tells us, Romans 5, we could go to other spots, but Romans 5, verse 8 speaks that you are saved from the wrath of God. And, and wrath, that's a, that's a scary, challenging thing for us, right? Like, that brings up all sorts of stuff. We don't even like to hear about the wrath of God anymore. We don't want to hear or think about those things, the wrath of God. But, but friends, like, if that stirs up all sorts of, like, whoa, we're having a religious thing now, and this is a different deal, may, may I, I just want to appeal with you to hang on with me for a second. I just want to appeal to you. I want you to consider that editing out the idea of the wrath of God, of just like ignoring it or moving past it, or can't we, can't we choose some more inclusive terms around this? Like why do we have to talk about the wrath of God? Can't we just talk about the love of God? Like if we were just to ignore it, ignoring it would be one of the worst things that we could do in our faith. Because the wrath, the wrath of God, God's wrath is his holy settled, it is consistent in an intentional response to all that is evil and broken in this world. And it's not just a response, it's that God's wrath is rooted in God's love. It's rooted in it. If God really is loving, he must be adamantly opposed to all that brings ruin and harm and destruction on, on his good world. I love how one author puts it. Scott Sauls writes in The Compassionate Truth, uh, a truth About Judgment. He says this, and I think it's on the screen. For those, uh, pardon me, for love to be truly loving, catch that. For love to be truly loving, there must be judgment. And if there's no judgment, then there's no hope for a slave, for a rape victim, a child who's been abused or bullied, or, or people who've been slandered or robbed or had their dignity stolen. If nobody is called to account before a cosmic judgment seat for violence and oppression, then the victims will never see justice. We need a God who gets angry. We need a God who will protect his kids, who will once and for all remove bullies and perpetrators of evil from his playground. Like when we ignore, when we ignore or we, we water down the idea of what it means to be saved and what we're saved from, we miss the heart of the Father who is not okay with injustice. You see, the good news of Jesus is that he alone is a rescuer. 
And while someone falsely accused might stay in that prison and Paul will ultimately die, that's not the final word. It's not the final word. It changes how Paul can live. He can be imprisoned in the letter to the Philippians and say, listen, this has led to great opportunities among my jailers. This led to all sorts of opportunities that are beyond description. Though I'm in chains for lies, like the opportunities that I'm having here with these jailers is unbelievable. I'm free. What does he do with that freedom? Well, notice what he says. He gives several examples. And this can be confusing to our ears, but, but just read it with me and we'll unpack it together. Verse 20. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. And catch these. There's, there are a couple of parenthetical parts to this. As one under the law, parentheses, though not being myself under the law. He makes this pretty clear, right? Uh, that I may, might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Parenthetically, like not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. And to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Now let me unpack this real fast because that can be confusing. We're like, well, wait, the Jews to the outside to the law, all these types of things. He is, he's putting this in context. Like Paul is Jewish. <laughs> Paul gives his resume of this of where this came out of. And yet he's been set free by Jesus. These are his people. In Romans, he's talking over and over. He spends chapter talking about, like, these people are precious to me. These are my people, and I would do anything that these Jewish people would know the name of Jesus that sets you free. Like, for us, we say, like, hey, like, what are they doing? They're, they're doing religious practices. They're, they're following after religious practices as if those religious practices would save them. And so a room here in Yukon, I think Paul would come and say, friends, if you grew up in church, you may not actually know Jesus. Even though you grew up in church. Religion will not save you. Only Jesus. And he would walk right up to us and he would point out all the things that get done in churches in the Bible Belt. And he'd say, that is pointing to the hope that you have in Jesus, but it isn't the hope itself. Singing the songs each week, being on time each week, coming, coming to service each week, thinking that you're going to get some plaque for, for an attendance award is not going to save your soul from the wrath of God. It's only Jesus. He says to those outside of the faith, outside of the faith, like those people who like might not be Jewish, but they're doing their best to be okay with God or whatever it is. At the end of the day, I hope that the scales like are in my favor. At the end of the day, whatever is going to hold me accountable, I hope, I hope that I've been a better person. Now, whatever happens, like Paul goes to them and he's like, he's, he's like, Speaking that language, speaking that language, and say, like, though I'm, I'm under Christ, I'm walking right alongside this person so that they might be saved. 
Think about the world that we live in. Think about the world, like uh, the world that we live in that divides over like anything. My wife was asking me the other day, I could feel the judgment in her voice. She's like, did you go to Wendy's? True story, right? He's like, did you go to Wendy's? I'm like, yeah, I went to Wendy's. That stuff is awesome. That stuff is awesome. But, like, people will divide over anything right now. Like, my wife has been married to me for 25 years. And she was like, you went to Wendy's? Like, imagine when the stakes are higher. And we're talking about our neighbor next door who is like, you believe that crazy stuff? I'm locking my door next to that person. Paul has the opposite response. He's like, I am flinging the doors open to my neighbor that they would know. That they would know the only one that would set them free. And then he gives a third example. And this one has no parentheticals, right? Because there's no wiggle room for him. He's like, he's like, yeah, I, I'm Jew. Like to the Jews, I, I do this, but I, but I've been set free from that. And to the to the outsiders, like I'm walking with them in it, but I'm under Christ's authority. I'm under this parenthetically. He's making that clear to the weak. There's no parenthetical. Why? Because Paul is still weak. And so are you and I. He's like, to the weak, I'm right here. In fact, he, he gives this 22 times in the two letters in Corinthians, to the two letters to the Corinthian people. 22 times he frames this up as like, hey, here it is. In our weakness, we live this. And by the time you get to the end of the second letter to the Corinthians that we have, the second letter in this, he's like, I am weak. I don't even know what to boast in other than my weakness. I don't even know what to boast, but I, I'm just, I'm weak. We bear with one another in their weaknesses. Paul comes into all of these things. Friends, what would it look like? What would it look like for you to lay down your preferences, lay down your freedoms, lay down your rights, and say, like, I deserve this. I, I'm an empty nester now. I don't need to work in the, in the nursery I've already done that. I've already done my time with that. I've already done my time for all those things. What would it look like for you to say, uh, I, like, I don't need to do that. My kids aren't that age anymore. And to say, I'm going to go back there and I'm going to serve these people so that young mom who is dragging in here at her wits end and just trying to make it today can be with us and experience the, the love of the body of Christ together. What would it look like for you to say, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up a few minutes early so that the, the guests to us aren't sitting here looking around saying, where is everyone? And, and let's take it another step forward because that stuff's easy, right? That's the easy stuff. What does it look like for those that are, feel the weight of our culture, the weight of our culture that, is, that feels like, deformative or even like cancerous at times and the weight of our culture that is scary and instead of building a fortress in our home we open the doors and we say that person that doesn't agree with me that person that is living a totally different lifestyle that person is welcome with me that they might hear about the love of God that saves Friends, you and I are not set free just to have a happy life. 
You and I aren't set free simply to sit back as if we won the lottery. I was in line at the gas station a couple weeks ago, and it was crazy, right? It was like the, the Powerball or whatever was like insane off the charts. And I show up at this, and, and I walk in, and, and there's a line of like 30 people in there. And everybody is trying to win this thing. And sometimes people who go to church all the time, can act like I've won the lottery and I'm just going to sit here and be happy in my freedoms. Paul is moved by the love of God to live a totally different life. And it's an illustration for us of what the whole of Scripture calls us to. You have been blessed to be a blessing. God has poured out his love on you to love those around you. He has welcomed you so that you would welcome those around you. He has done this for your good and for ours. And he gives us this illustration at the end. He gives us this this illustration. He puts it into a picture of athletics. And so read it with me as we wrap this up. Notice he says to the weak, I've done this. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Notice there's this sharing language that we're knit together people. It's as if the Bible describes this as a body in which one part affects the others. It does. This Paul does. And he is not only just doing some solo act, but then he puts it in the picture of athletics. He says, do you not know? That in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you might obtain it. Run that you might obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. You see, this is the part in which we, you, if, in Christ, if you know Christ, you're not just someone who says, like, oh, I, I prayed a prayer one time. No, like, Christ has rescued you. He set you free. In Christ is freedom. And that freedom comes with purpose and meaning and calling on your life. Not to just sit down on your hands, but to look around you to those who are still in bondage. And that purpose requires some discipline. The discipline of an athlete who, who trains, the discipline of an athlete who shows self-control. That We're not running just like we're on a happy jog. No, we're running to win a prize. We can't earn anything with God, but it's the picture that he paints for us. We're running as if to win a prize. Like the people who are running in the Olympics, the people who are doing things uh, like on, on TV, these professional athletes, they get a prize and then next year they don't. It is perishable. But what Paul tells us is that the prize for the believer is imperishable. It never fades. It never goes out of season. It actually is where we experience the fullness of life. This prize only gets better with time. In, the, in this world, we, we see it dimly, but there's a time in which we experience the fullness of that prize. In which there's no, there's no lack, there's no more pain, there's no more cancer, there's no more hurting, there's no more of any of those things. There's no darkness. 
There's a prize which is imperishable. Verse 26, so I do not run aimlessly. Let me ask you another question. Have you been running aimlessly? Like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm just going to. Have you been running aimlessly? He puts it in another picture. He even switches the sports, right? I don't box as one beating the air. I don't box as one beating the air. See, I, I am not the brightest of bulbs, friends. I was a terrible student. I was a terrible student. Mostly out of self-discipline. But I know a couple things. I know a couple things. I know this, that you can check out a book from the library. You can check out a book from the library on boxing. And you'll learn some things. You might even know, like, this is how you step. These are the things that you do. But you won't learn from a book what it's like to take a punch. And you can learn all you want to by just standing there with a mirror and kind of punching in the air. You can learn all sorts of things from that. But you won't learn what it's like on the hard days when there's an adversary in front of you. When the difficult days come and you feel like you weren't able to dodge that blow. You see, Paul says, I'm not playing games here. And you shouldn't either. Don't box the air. I want to show you a second picture. This is less famous, but I want to show you a second picture. And those are Muhammad Ali's hands. And they're calloused and they're bruised. And if you were to see his fingers spread out, they're deformed. They've been malformed. They've been uh, reshaped through the difficulties of boxing. And friends, this is the picture that Paul has given us. It's like, don't box the air. And, and actually stepping into this life that Jesus has called us to will lead to some scars. It will lead to some bruising. It will lead to some difficult days. And yet in that, even with the scars on your knuckles and the difficulties and maybe even a black eye, is where we see and we experience the freedom of Christ in a way that no book will ever teach you. We experience his grace. We experience his love. And we start, we, to those who have, who have come to church a million times and said, yeah, I've tried it. I don't really get it. Like, where's this abundant life everybody is talking to? Let me tell you something very clear. As someone who loves you, as a father would tell his own kids, it's not by going around the difficult things. It's by going through them. It's by going through them. And then he ends with this, which is as shocking as any of it. Paul ends in verse 27 saying, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. As the man who was assigned this Sunday to preach, I felt that one in some unique ways. That I would plead for these people and then be disqualified myself. And yet this isn't a selfish verse for Paul. This is a, a human verse for Paul. 
the Paul who didn't put parentheses around the weakness. A Paul who knows that he's just as easy to fall into sin as anyone else. Friends, what we've been talking about today isn't just for you. It's for me as well. It's for Paul. It's for each one of us that we would share in the blessing of other people coming to faith, of other people being set free, that we would share in the blessing, but that we would also be strengthened and shored up against falling away from the faith. Falling away from the faith. You see, our worship team didn't come up here to be the only ones worshiping. They're the worship preparers. They're the ones who are preparing and setting a table for us and helping all of us get there, helping all of us see Jesus more clearly. That This moment of preaching isn't the end of the story. It's the beginning of your week. It's the beginning of us living this out. It isn't like that we stand up here in a second and then shake our heads and say, man, I'm, well, I'm glad I came there today. It's not that we're at the end of this, we come to a moment where it's like whether this guy, me, did a good job or a bad job. No, like, no, it's the beginning of us stepping into the freedom that God has called you to. For the six days between now and next week. Maybe it's the moment where we hear the invitation from God to actually trust and believe in him for the first time.